I have a really cool piece of artwork that I want to show you. We're in a series called The Art of Faith. And this one is an American masterpiece, an American classic. It is iconic. I was shocked for service when there was a handful of people that have never seen it. So if you haven't seen this painting, you're in good company because, I don't know, there are some other people who didn't know that it existed this painting was painted in 1941 by Edward Hopper, and it's called Nighthawks. Have you guys seen this painting before? Oh, maybe you shouldn't raise your hand. I don't want to out anybody like I did first service. But it's called Nighthawks, and it is maybe with the exception of American Gothic. American Gothic is those two old farmers with the pitchfork. Okay, so that one's pretty iconic. Like, this is right up there, like number one or number two, in my opinion. Nighthawks. Iconic to the degree that everybody's ripping it off, or there's parodies of this work. So chances are, before you saw this one, you saw a parody of it. So the first one might have been a version with Elvis Presley James, Dean, and Marilyn Monroe. So chances are you probably saw this one before you saw the original one. So you've seen this one before? There's also a Star Wars version. Yeah? You like that one? And a Sesame Street version. Yeah. The Simpsons did it. There we go. It's appropriate. And then my favorite version, the Pulp Fiction version. So it's iconic. You know, everybody, everybody can relate to it. Everybody has seen it, or at least I thought everybody had seen it. Edward Hopper in the 40s started off as an illustrator. So he was like, you know, making doodles and magazines and cartoons and things like that. And he didn't like that, but, you know, he, he had to pay the bills. And so he humbled himself just to be a graphic artist or an illustrator. But his, his ambition was to be a great American artist that was influential. And this piece is influential. He was inspired to paint Nighthawks after he went to an exhibit in New York and he saw Van Gogh's Starry Night. No, excuse me, not Starry Night, Night Cafe. So Night Cafe uh, is a, you know, a cafe scene outdoors where the whole scene is lit by fake light. So in Van Gogh's day, it was uh, gas lamps. But in 1942, this scene is lit by a brand new invention, fluorescent lights. Yeah, let's, let's put some fluorescent lights on you guys. Ew. Ugh. You can just feel that crawling on your skin, and you feel like vampires, and you're going to melt away in a second. Okay, get those things off. Let's go back to the can lights. There we go. Much better. Fluorescent lights. What a weird invention. This is not just a great 
art piece because the proportions are right, the composition is great, the colors complement each other, uh, everything works. It sucks you into the very middle of the painting. Um, the only light that is coming is from those fluorescent lights in the cafe. Everything else around it is dark. And what's interesting about that is that well, it makes a statement that everything outside is dark, but everything inside of this situation, well, there's light and there's life, although, be it, it's artificial light. But in 1942, great cities like New York and Chicago, they had to turn their lights off because they thought that the Nazis were going to bomb them. So they had blackout orders. And so that's why it feels a little eerie and a little ominous outside, or maybe it might feel a little warm inside. There's four characters in this scene. There is the man sitting completely alone, just staring into his coffee or whatever. There is what they call the soda jerk, because he would jerk down the soda things, and so he is there serving. And then there's two, there's a couple. And initially, at first glance, you might think that, you know, well, it's just a happy couple. But if you look a little closer, if you look at their faces, if you look into their eyes, if you look at them, they're not present, they're staring off in the distance, and it might look like they're touching, but if you look closer, they're not touching, they're not connected. And so Hopper is making a huge social statement, one that we all can identify with, because what he is saying, he is saying, inside of the world's largest, most successful city, packed full of people, the world's largest community, everybody is alone. I think we can relate to that. We are the most connected humans the world has ever seen. We've got connectivity in our pockets that we can communicate to people around the world in a half a second. It's amazing what we have. We've got more technology in our pocket than the astronauts had when they went to the moon. It's amazing what we have access to. And yet, we know that people are feeling alone and they're feeling disconnected. And what Hopper knew and what we should know and what we should gravitate towards is that we are created for connectivity. We're created to be connected to one another and, and to God. What this painting is showing me that I think that we can learn from right now is that just because we're connected and crammed into spaces and freeways and internet chat rooms and feeling the pressure of pandemic and all these different things, we have, we've lost the art of connecting. We've lost the, that art of communication. I, I don't think we know how to talk to each other anymore. I, I just, I, I, it's easier for us to get online and vent and say things. We will say things online. We will rant about issues. We'll trash people online. And we would never do it face to face. 
So it is an artificial communication. It's an artificial connectedness. And it's toxic. I just think about the, the 40s when people are, they're not sitting around a dinner table like Norman Rockwell. They're sitting alone in a cafe that Hopper has created. This one doesn't exist, by the way. It exists in Hopper's mind. You can't go to this place. I think we need to learn how to connect. Because again, we were created for connectivity. Not only just so that we can have a better social life, there is a spiritual dimension, a spiritual power, a, a commandment for us to connect to one another and to do it in ways that are respectful, that are honoring, that are kind. But we've got to learn how to talk to each other again. So... I have brought in an expert. Like, literally, I have brought in an etiquette expert to show us how to talk to one another, to sit down at a table, have a halfway decent meal, and not come off looking like a jerk. Heather, come on up. Heather is, Heather Brunst is longtime friend and in the worship team, of course. We, back in the day, we used to be in a small group together. And she teaches etiquette. So she's going to teach us some practical things today. Welcome, Heather. Have a Hi. seat. Hi. Am I on? Okay. I said this in first service, too, but I would like to think oh, that yeah. the soda server, you know, Josh had kind of brought up the illustration that, you know, sometimes people even in service roles aren't very polite anymore, even though they're paid to be. And I, I would like to think that this guy, he, you know, it's late at night. He probably doesn't get paid that much. And he was trying to be a smile and a light to people anyway. Yeah. And that comes from within, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now we'll park it. All right, we'll have it. Park it. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I threw something at him because he didn't tell me anything about today. I didn't tell anything what I was going to do today. So he threw a lot of stuff at me on first service, yes. and that's why I thought I'd throw something at you for a change. Yeah. <laughs> so I had, um, I went to a wedding reception last night, and I, I've done a number of weddings during COVID and after COVID, but this is the first uh, reception that I went to, and I really felt like I needed to go to this one. The thing is, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know a soul. And so they stuck me at a formal table with complete strangers, and I was completely terrified. <laughs> I was a deer caught in the headlights. I, I was, it was so awkward, I didn't know what to do. And so uh, I know that I made some mistakes. So Heather, help me, like what, what is all this stuff, and how should I start? Well, this isn't even a terribly formal, but this is more how, you know, we might get if we go to a wedding or a banquet or a conference or a work thing. Um, you know, at some point, we'll all have to go to something, right? Right. Um, with people, as it turns out. Right. <laughs> and figure out how to do that. Right. Um, <laughs> Josh likes to throw things at you. So he's, you can see he's tucking it in here. Really what we do with our napkin when we sit down at a restaurant or at a banquet or wedding type of thing. 
Just fold it in half, put it in your lap, right? I did not know that. I blew that last <laughs> night. Um, the only time you wouldn't put your napkin in when you first sit down is like if you're going to somebody's home and they're still fixing stuff in the kitchen or they haven't sat down yet, don't put your napkin and stuff maybe until your host sits down because you don't want them to feel like you're sitting there waiting for your food, if that makes sense. <laughs> Here he goes. Here we go. He likes to throw things at me. Um, so in this case, you can see <laughs> And this happens all the time. Partially when people don't know which part of their thing is. Um, what you do want to do is, even though, you know, I'll just give you a few tips today. We could go on forever. To be perfectly honest, some of it is just so that you know more of what to do. And that gives you confidence. But in the grand scheme of things, you just have to be kind and gracious and hey, Lynn, let things up? happen. What's going on, man? Just chill back here in the sound booth. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm just hanging out with Heather. No, this yeah, happens no, no, she's too, cool. right? Yeah, okay. All right, all right, we'll do it. Okay, bye. Okay, so we'll go back to the, uh, you know, things happen. And, you know, when you're on the receiving end of it, there's not a lot you can do. You don't want to reprimand and, con, you know, give some, make somebody feel bad. Because people won't always remember what you say, but they will remember how they felt. Here he's going again. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and you... Don't necessarily want to tell them that you know the rules, right? But you can hope that they will emulate you, well, right? Well, <laughs> so in some of these cases, like the well, cell phone. No, whatever. You know, he's got um, it on the thing. So can we I know leave my not... phone? Can I leave my phone like this, or is that rude? No. Ideally, no. Really? Um, you don't want it on the table because you want the person that you're with to feel like they're valuable and important wow. to. The, you know, this, and that, you know, we haven't seen each other in two years after right. COVID or whatever it is. Um, you know, we do, phones are a part of our society and we, you know, some of people have kids or you're coming to lunch from work or something and you do need it. And so in that case, you know, put it on vibrate and put it next to you. Let the person know that you might get a call or if you get a call, mm -hmm. you know, if it's somebody that's your friend and that you know well, it's perfectly acceptable to say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry this is my kid's school. Do you mind if I take it really quickly? They're probably not going to say no. If there's somebody close or your family, you know, you can probably answer it right there. Under most circumstances, like at the wedding, you just want to say, please excuse me and get up and take it elsewhere. But those people were so boring. I needed something to do. <laughs> I needed a... And I know. I, like, honestly, like, it was just awkward silence. It was painful. And it took everything within me not to reach into my pocket to get my phone to do something. It was like... Well, Weird. and that's when you can, I mean, honestly, conversation sometimes isn't that hard. All you have to do is start by introducing yourself. You know, in Josh's case last night, he could say, hi, I'm Josh. I just ran the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that starts, th starts the conversation. Likewise, when he took my drink, right, people don't know which stuff is theirs, if that makes any sense. Um, and especially when you're, you know, you get at a table and you're crammed, crammed in, in there, there and there's a Super pile crammed. of stuff. I have a tip. Yeah. Um, remember, I can't do this yeah, without yeah. that. So um, do you guys want to learn the tip? So take your finger and your thumb and go like this. Everybody got it? Okay, so when you hold it down and look at it, you've got a B and a D. So when you're looking at your table, this is your bread, and these are your drinks. 
Got it? I screwed that up last night, too. (laughs) I grabbed the wrong glass. But now you know. Yeah. And that could even be a a way, because inevitably you will end up, nobody knows which one's their drink, and now you do, right? So that's even a way to start a conversation. You can say, oh, I got this. Show them the B and the D. Yeah. And, you know, there are conversation topics that we say, you know, steer clear of politics and money and religion and all of those things. Hey, Heather, how many many Pollocks does it take (laughs) to screw in a light bulb? Again, we go for trying to emulate how we are. So, you know, in the case of this... I can't tell racial jokes? No, no. I can't tell sexist jokes? No, you shouldn't. But, like, in the case of that, where I just, you know, if you show somebody the B and the D for the drinks, you can, you know, bring up. Oddly enough, I learned that at church, yeah. right? That's a way not to be in a, you know, combative right. um, way of doing it, I guess you would say. All right, how much can I drink? Well, ideally and not that much. Because <laughs> pretty soon you'll be... But these people are boring. I know, I know. But okay. if you're genuinely interested, and if you start talking, you will typically find things that yeah. you f- start to find interesting with them. And all it takes is the hard part of introducing yourself to go from there. And everybody, it's grape juice and not <laughs> wine. It is a nice vintage. Uh, Welch's. <laughs> Would you like to smell the cork? No, okay. You know, and while he's holding it, I just noticed this as well. So th- here's tips. Like, as you learn, you know, we'll be learning until the day we leave this earth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I find it fun when we learn things and and can know what to do. So he's holding it this way. Well, if you have grubby little fingers or anything like that. This um, is how Neanderthals hold their wine glass. So you want to hold it by the little stem. Like this. Right? And inevitably when you're, especially at a wedding, there's toast. So you'll often hear it's called raise a glass. And that's technically you're not supposed to be clinking. Because if you break it or crack it or something, it's a whole thing. Party foul. Now, we're Americans, and here, most of the time, people will just start clinking. So, you know, you don't want to make people feel bad, so clink, but clink carefully in that case, if that makes sense. Like, in this case, these glasses that I brought that are water glasses, these were my great, great aunt, somebody or other. So, if we did a big clink and it broke, you know, my family heirloom is, you know, in the trash. So. Yeah. And you would feel bad about that, right? Right. Um, but if that happens as somebody else, you don't want to make them feel bad about it because the person is always more important than everything else, right? Does that make yeah. sense? Um, and same thing on the bread. Yeah, what did I mess I think up You there? asked me on, on that one because he just started shoveling it in, right? This one's counterintuitive because you wouldn't think you would do this, but there's the term breaking bread, right? We talk about it here in church sometimes, and that is because... Technically, the proper way to do it is to break off a piece at a time. And you butter a piece at a time. So when you get the little butter, you know, you put it on your thing, and then you, I can't do it because I have the microphone. But um, you would butter one piece at a time and eat it as you go, if that makes sense. You can't Um, have fang marks in your bread. (laughs) But if somebody else does it, don't just look at them, you know, crazy. Um, Likewise, I kind of said just a regular table today if you're eating at somebody's home they'll only put out what they're going to serve like you would have a bowl if you were going to have soup or like this is morning so if we were having oatmeal or cereal or something like that um and you'll usually have silverware for what you need and you want to work from the outside in so in this case we've got 
two forks and a knife and a spoon. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you're at a restaurant, like if you go to a grill type place, they're all in the napkin. And that's okay because it's probably for cleanliness purposes. <laughs> um, but in normal cases, you know, the table will be set. You've put your napkin in your lap. Um, and then you kind of go from here. So in this case, so whatever would be in the bowl would be first. And you'd use your spoon, right? And then once that course is done, you would go on and it would probably be a salad in this case because there's a little fork and a little knife. And then I remember Josh asked me, there were um, some at the top. There was a fork at the top. I'm like, what the heck do I do with that one? <laughs> but I didn't know. Well, because once you've finished, you have dessert. Often the des dessert isn't on the table yet or like at a wedding, it's cake later and things like that. Or and later we'll also maybe they'll serve coffee or tea. So that would be the same thing. Sometimes at a banquet or something, it's already placed, but right. usually not. Same thing. D. Right. That one's yours, right? <laughs> okay. Let's just say, like, it's the beauty and the beast scenario. Yes. So where, you know, the beast is, like, like I me. used the analogy earlier. And so, yeah. So I like, don't know if you guys remember the Disney Beauty and the Beast, um, but they sit down to have a meal, and so she picks up her spoon, and it looked like oatmeal or yeah. something like that, and she starts to eat, and of course the beast just oh. sticks his head down right. and goes in it so much. Um, so how would you Well, and so in that, that case, like the, the, the way that it got handled was, I think, the way to do it. You know, there are rules, but we also want to remember that the person is always more important than the rules. So you want to make people feel comfortable. So in that case, you know, you had the little, do you remember the teapot and the little cup? And they kind of nudged the little spoon. And um, the beast took the spoon and he tried and he couldn't manage, right? So what Belle did in that case was she realized that. And instead of following the rule, she instead picked up her bowl and held it out to him. And then they went from there. Um, so while it wasn't, she didn't follow the proper way, she followed the way that would honor, honor him. the person, the being that she was with, right? So we want to be kind and respectful and just courteous. And that's of people and things. You know, we want to be, be good with what God has given us because right. that's what we're here on this earth right. for, right? Okay, if I was going to start like eating like, <laughs> like, like this... Yeah. How would you correct me? I wouldn't, but I would start doing it the way that I would do it, and often people will mirror you, right? So even when people are being unkind to you or saying bad things, if you keep being respectful to them, eventually they, they, they do often come around. In a way of eating, it, there's actually different ways. We could go on for forever. Um, as Americans, we actually eat a little differently than what they would call the continental style. So it's hard to get used to because sometimes you will be with people. I'm going to move the uh, bowl here. Um, but, you know, we typically will use a fork and a knife and we'll cut something and then we'll put it in our dominant hand. There are some lefties, but, you know, in my case, I'm a right hand. And as an American, we often eat this way. And you would do that, say, if you're eating soup or something that's only a one utensil thing. But then um, in other countries, often people will eat with um, fork down. a fork with their tines down and things like that. Um, so when you go there, you'd want to try to learn how to do that, right? Because we want to be respectful of being there. Um, and likewise, if somebody's doing that here, you know, you wouldn't sit there looking at yeah. them like they're crazy or like they're the beast eating out of the bowl. You just want to eat properly the way that you 
as well as you can. And things happen. I mean, right. it always happens. And just try to handle it with as much grace and kindness as you can. You know, I mean, things go rolling off. I mean, it does happen. Yeah. <laughs> or things get spilled or something. And just, you know, just try to be kind and gracious. Yeah. I think one of the things that we could definitely apply to everyday life from an etiquette class is specifically even spiritual discipleship. How do, you, how do you get people to change? You get people to change by not saying, you're an idiot, or you're a Neanderthal, you don't do it this way. You get people to change by encouraging them to mimic you. That is 100% scriptural. Paul says it, be like me, act like me. So, well, we have the best teacher. We do. You know, I mean, Jesus was put in all kinds of situations. Yeah. And it's not that he wasn't, didn't get angry or have issues, but he always did so in love, right? Um, he came from a place of love. Um, and I think that if we remember that, and that's one of the things of our church, yeah. we love the Lord our God and we love our neighbor as ourself. And, and in my, I would say better than ourselves, yeah. right? If we're really trying to be who God wants us to be. And, you know, in this case, whoever whoever it is, they are still a child of God, and so are we. So we want to treat them that way, and we want to behave that way, right? Amen. Thank you, Heather. Okay. Any anything other, else? I don't think, did I miss anything? I don't know. Okay, we many, could go on for forever. I'm just, I know. Okay, so how many things did I screwed up? So. I, well, we don't want to talk I, about it like that. That's right. Because you were learning. I was learning, but I was, and I it's was fun. talking with my mouth full. That was one I don't right. know if you picked up I, on, and you know, elbows on the table. Did you guys catch that one? <laughs> You're not supposed to leave your elbows on the you table. You know, you can kind of rest your hands here. Yeah. Ideally, just put them in your lap. Same thing, put your phone in your lap so it's not sitting here. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of, it's common sense, which a lot of people don't have these days either. Yeah. I'm sorry to say. But we can also learn that. You know, often I'll hear people say, well, I didn't grow up this way. I don't know this stuff. A lot of people didn't. You know, we, we just learn it. And I think it's fun, and I think it's yeah. neat. Painting, he's trying to help people smile. Smiles are free, right? And it's what we can do to show um, God's love. I mean, there are we we sometimes have to battle the fact that there are Christians who haven't been kind to someone. I've had Christians be unkind to me, and so when we show that, we don't want we have to combat that, right? Yeah. Um, and so we let that smile come out, or we yeah. just you know, open a door for somebody and, and things that don't require a lot, you know, saying may I or please or thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take a lot. And it's we can free. learn it. We can learn it. And yeah. see, I think it's fun to learn stuff like this. I'm weird like that. But, um, but uh, I think that we gain so much more when we've been in that situation and then that person smiles back at us, right? I mean... Mimic. It's pretty good. Yeah. Heather, thank you very much. You're welcome. Give her, give her a hand. <laughs> I, because she didn't know what I was going to do. And no. <laughs> so he did it different this time I than even first service, yeah. and he told me nothing before nothing. all of this. So. All surprises. One last tip. When you yeah. finish, oh, yeah, you I pick up your up. napkin like this, and you put it to the left of your thing. And then I just kick mine under the table. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Heather. Okay, thanks. Okay, so... This is obviously fun. It's probably something that everybody could learn. For our purposes, it's an illustration. 
right? This is a biblical illustration about how to treat people and how to be present. See, I was, okay, it was, it was all play, but we can all relate to this. I was rude, and I didn't realize it. Think about that for a second. Have you ever been rude and not, not even realizing that you were coming off as being rude or disrespectful? Being rude and didn't realize it. I was unconsciously unkind. My unconsciousness took over. I'm like in Josh mode. It's all about me. The world revolves around me, right? So unconsciously, I am projecting unkindness onto my host. And this is probably one that everybody can learn from. I was like persistently not present. Like just, well, it's also part of my issues as being uh, a daydreamer. But just not present. Not engaged. Now you can be at the table, but you can not be at the table at the same time. So these are all little traps that I think that we've all fallen into. You know, we say things we don't mean. We think things that aren't true. We project things onto people that are not fair. And it is a mandate and a command for us to love one another and to be kind to one another. We are created to be connected. If you get your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 14 and Matthew 22. Before I get into Luke chapter 14, they're the same story, by the way. Um, not a whole lot of scripture today. Because you guys are reading your Bible every day. All right, so before I, tell you, before I read this scripture, let me tell you a personal story. Back when I was a young man, before I was married, before I was a minister. Uh-oh, that was a good one. Me and one of my delinquent friends, uh, we were down on the beach in Santa Barbara. There's a really fancy hotel down there called the Biltmore. So we're hanging out on, you know, kind of on the rocks, and we hear the music, and we're like, I bet we can get in there. And so we crashed a wedding. We were wedding crashers that night, and we snuck in, and the lights were down low, found a seat at the table, ate their food. This is just a couple of weeks ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay now. <laughs> we ate their food. And then their entertainment, this was a hoi polloi wedding. Their entertainment was not a Chubby Checker cover band. It was Chubby Checker. So the uh, shape, what's it? Not Twist and Shout. No, that's not Twist and Shout. It's the twist. Come on, baby, whatever. I don't. Dad, how's it go? Let's do the twist. <laughs> I made eye contact with Chubby Checker. That's pretty cool, huh? 
Yeah, so we even took their party favors. They had these party favors that were umbrellas with the bride and groom's name on it. Yeah, we took those too. And when the lights came on, the lights came up, the room was no longer dark. Uh, we scurried out of there like a couple of cockroaches because we knew we were going to get caught soon. We didn't get caught. We got away. All right. Put a pin in that. I'll come back to that story later. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, now catch this, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So, that dinner table. Not this one, that one. You'll be blessed when you're eating at that dinner table in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replies to this truth. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. You could like, I, I just bought a Mustang Fastback, and I need to take it out. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants to go out quickly into the streets and in the alleys and of the town and to bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, your servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master gathered and told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get to taste the banquets. All right. So the first part of this story could easily apply to us. We're all called, we're all chosen, we're all God's special cultural Christians right here in the, the great country of America. But if we find ourselves becoming a little too busy, a little too distracted, if we find ourselves not Sabbathing and keeping it holy, but rather we've got more important business to take care of, well... We don't, we don't get to come in. And it doesn't seem fair because we're God's chosen people, right? But that is what's being, that's what Jesus is saying. This is Matthew 22. It's the same parable that Jesus is repeating, most likely at a different location, or maybe the writer just added details that the other one left out. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. 
Then he sent some more servants and said to them, Tell those who have been invited that to prepare my dinner. My ox, my fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So one little detail, like there's some good food here. Like God is going to bless them. The time has finally come for the fatted calf to be killed. He's going to bless his kids. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servant and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent an army to destroy those those that murdered and burn and those that murdered, and he burned their city. All right, you see how? Okay, remember when I started this message saying it's going to come off sounding like hellfire and brimstone? Don't be, don't be condemned when you hear this. Be, receive the conviction and move into life. Then he said to his servant, the wedding banquet is near, but those I have invited did not deserve to come. Go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. So the servants went out into the streets and they gathered all the people that they could find, both good and bad. Everybody gets invited, the good and the bad, the chosen and those that are on the outside. Everybody's invited. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to the, see his guests, he noticed a man, a man there who was wearing, who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked him, how did you get in here without any wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Okay, so that would have been me if I would have got caught at the Biltmore. How did you guys get in here? You guys weren't invited. And we were like, uh, and we would have ran. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. All right, so three major points. One, we got to be kind to each other because that's the commandment from God. Because we are created for connectivity. We have to figure out how to bridge that gap. We have to figure out ways to encourage people by our own example and not encouraging people by pointing about how, how bad they are or how dumb they are. They, like, we need to lead by example, they'll follow. The next two points are on the other side of the coin. If we get distracted, now, like, theologians argue about this issue, we don't have an answer, I'm not going to get up here and tell you that I have all the answers, because frankly, I just don't know. But what it seems that Jesus is implying is that the chosen can be cast out. I don't want that to be me. I don't want to lose my salvation. Can you lose your salvation once you've received it? Again, I don't know. And I'd rather not find out. 
I'm just listening to Jesus' parable. Is it about the Jews? Of course it's about the Jews. Is it about us? Of course it's about us. So maybe some of you are feeling a little bit of a conviction that, you know what, I have not, like there's one command, if you, if you want like, am I spending enough time with God? The one command that you need to follow is Sabbath. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's like right up there. Like you do that one. If you're faithful to Sabbath, if you don't have any other idols before you, you've got, God can work with you. But the interesting part is how the Lord treats the wedding crasher. Because again, he wants everybody to come in, right? He wants everybody to sit at the table. Like he's the one that sent his servants out into the highways and byways and the streets to bring in the poor, to bring in the cripple. He's the one that invited them. This was God's idea to bring everybody into the house. But then there is this big but. But this guy is not wearing wedding clothes. What is that all about, everybody? What do you think? It was an attitude of the heart. Okay, just think about me crashing that wedding party. I didn't even know who the bride and the groom were. I don't even know the whole, I don't, don't even know who the host was. Frankly, I didn't care. I just wanted to eat his food. Right? Does it, do you see where I'm going with this? You know, you come into the Lord's house, and if you don't come in with reverence and respect and honor, and if you're just there to eat his food and to take his toys, uh, I don't think you're saved. When Solomon, at the very height of the kingdom, when, when God's people had a kingdom that was the closest thing to the kingdom of God, was Solomon's kingdom, everything was laid out perfect. Like the table settings were immaculate. Everything was boiled down to the detail. Like, it was so fancy, it was so bougie, it was so incredible that when people walked into Solomon's di dining room table, when they walked into that banquet, it took their breath away about how well everything was prepared. Now, am I saying that I'm, we should all as a church, like, go back to Downton Abbey? I know Pastor Mandy would probably like that. There might be a few of you that might like that, that level of formality, and that is not what I'm trying to communicate. Like, you don't have to know where your fork belongs on the table. You don't have to make sure you have all of these rules. I do think that it might be a good idea in this day and age to maybe figure some, some common sense courtesies out. But it's really about, is your heart prepared to honor the Lord in an honorable way? Can you respect His sanctuary? Can you respect his ways? Can you honor him with your life? Can you say, this, this meal was given to me free of charge, and I owe him everything? We're casual church. I mean, I'm, I know I'm wearing a tie today. We're a casual church. It should be a casual church. This is, this is part of our culture, and you know, we want you to feel comfortable. We want you to feel safe. 
But if on the inside you are rude to the Lord, if on the inside you've got more things to do, more important things than him, well, then again, that's, that's where the conviction should come in. And I hope that this word of God will lead you into a proper relationship with him where you're coming into his presence, whether in church or whether at home, and you do your very best to mindfully be courteous, to mindfully follow a spiritual etiquette that honors God. You think we can do that? You think we could carry ourselves in such a way where people want to emulate us? They think that we could do our, our darndest not to be rude and our darndest to, to show respect to the good and to the bad? Let's just try that. I think God will, can use us in powerful ways if we do. Landon, come on up. Now, it's not fair, but I get to do communion with a glass and a, and a, and a piece of bread and not one of those little plastic things that I stuck you guys with. Now, I'm going to push on you a little bit harder because when Paul says when you eat the, when you eat the supper, when you eat the Lord's meal, one ought to examine himself, herself, and if you don't, you could eat and drink a judgment upon yourself. And so, if there is anybody that you have been rude to, consciously or unconsciously, if there is anybody that you have been unkind to, if there's anybody that you have not showed mercy to, well, it's time to do business with God. If anybody has hurt or offended or have been rude to you, you have to do business with God. You have to forgive them before you take of this bread. If you have bitterness, if you are harboring disdain, a, a deep-seated disappointment towards the Lord that you have not reconciled, you need to do business with not only with your brothers and sisters, you got to do business with God. I'm sorry he didn't answer your prayers and you're hurt because God, you know, doesn't love you anymore. Oh, well. No, he does love you. Don't be offended by a loss. Do business with God. He's given you everything. He's given you eternal life. Do business with him before you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, or you'll drink judgment upon yourself. Let's take a moment. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Allow the Holy Spirit to rest and illuminate your mind. Have him clear out all the junk and all the offense. And he is going to highlight in your mind's eye people that you need to forgive. He is going to highlight in your mind's eye people that have 
that you have offended. He's going to highlight people that you have been rude to, that you, that you need to make amends with, that you need to reconcile with. Like he wants to get you clean before you, before you go into the Holy of Holies. Now the deeper work of God inside of your heart, for the Holy Spirit will penetrate bone and marrow. And the Holy Spirit will highlight certain offenses that you are holding against God. You're holding God in contempt and you need to let him go or else he can't heal your life. What you don't want to do is you don't ever want to say, God, I forgive you. You say, God, I submit to your will. God, I don't understand why I had to go through that. You do and well, it doesn't really matter because I know that you love me, you're for me, you're not against me. Let's do business with God. Let the Holy Spirit guide you through it. The body of Christ was broken for you the perfect meal. Inside of the body of Christ, you have everything that you need. Provision, resources, access to heaven. You are not only connected to the body of Christ, you're connected to the people of Christ. And God has created you for connection. Receive the body of Christ for connection. I get to drink this Welch's grape juice, which is gonna be far better than what is in those little plastic cups. I have no idea what that stuff is. But in your spirit, take that janky little plastic cup and symbolically, in your mind, pretend like it is a wine glass. And hold it by the stem. Do it the right way. Do communion with the Lord the right way, with reverence and respect. Don't see the grape juice as grape juice or that mystery liquid that you guys have. You need to see it as the world's most expensive Cabernet. And it goes down so smooth because it is cleansing you of all of your sins. It is the most expensive drink on the planet and it has been freely given to you without the shedding of innocent blood, because this is innocent blood. This is pure blood. It's precious blood. And it was poured out for you to have it running through your veins to make you a new creation. Receive the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and step into the newness of life. You were 
Blessing this morning, and I want to I want to give you a little visual. Scriptures say that we are to take off our old selves, and we are to put on the mantle or His righteousness, His self. I don't know what's going on in the world, but it seems as if the time is near. And so take off your old self and put on a blessing. Put on your wedding clothes. Put on your wedding clothes because the time is come. Put on those wedding clothes. Come on in for the banquet of all banquets where conversations aren't boring and everybody's welcome. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. Listen to this next part. And be gracious to you, to turn towards you in your times of need, and to fill your home with peace and security, love and joy. The one who has called you into a new life is never going to leave you. He has never forsaken you. He's a good God, and he's crazy about you. Sit at the table with him and show some respect. We love you guys. Have a great week.